I want to thank our worship team for leading us in worship today. Well, you know, if you've been a part of our church at all this year, you know that our theme for 2023 is why does it matter? And we are spending this entire year exploring that question, and we're looking at different facets of that question, why does it matter? So for the spring, our theme is the family. Why does it matter? And so today, here we are on Mother's Day. So can I just say to all of our moms, happy Mother's Day to you. God bless you in the role that you play. I, uh, not everybody, not everybody is as blessed as everybody else. I was blessed with a great mother. Uh, my mom was an awesome mom. Many of you knew sweet Naomi, and she was a part of our church for a long time, and uh, we love our mom. I'm also grateful for my wife, Cindy, who's right over here. Cindy is a great mom. She's loved our children, our grandchildren. Uh, my daughter, Hannah, is a great mom. She's here today as well with four children. Our daughter-in-law, Adrian, this is her first Mother's Day with our grandson, Gideon. So we've, we've got lots to celebrate in our home. Do y'all know that on Mother's Day, 47 years ago, Charles and Rosemary Wade came to this church, and they're right back there. Can we say thank y'all for coming to Arlington, Charles and Rosemary? Seriously. I would, I would just say this city is better off, this church is better off, my family is better off because the Wades got promoted from Oklahoma to Texas. Praise God for that. So we love you guys, and you've got some of your kids with you here today, and y'all know we love the Wade family. So it's Mother's Day. I've decided to preach on stress. Um, and the reason for that is I think moms can be stress absorbers in families. Every Mother's Day, I, I'm reminded of the story that Chuck Swindoll loves to tell. He tells a story about this mom. She had five children, and they lived out in the country, and she was in the house one day, and it was just too quiet. Some of you moms know what I mean. It was just too quiet. So she went outside. They lived in the country, went outside, looked for the kids, didn't see them. She started to go back in the kitchen. She looked through the screen door, and there were all five children. Her children were small. They were in a circle in the kitchen, looking at something on the floor in the kitchen. So she opens the screen door. She peers over their shoulders, and to her surprise, there are five baby skunks in her kitchen floor. <laughs> and with her mom authoritative voice, she screamed, everybody run. And each child grabbed a skunk and took off running in different directions. <laughs> Sometimes that's how life feels to us. Um, and so I love the fact, though, that moms, to me, moms just play a unique role in the life of a family. And in some ways, they often absorb the stress in our homes. And so I realize that life today can be incredibly stressful. There's, a, there's certainly a lot of reason, there are a lot of reasons for that. And I know there are a lot of anxiety-ridden homes, and there's much to worry about. And there are, there are a lot of families who have been completely fractured in the midst of the stress and the pressure that's brought upon them. And stress does that sometimes. Stress can, can fracture things. We talk about people sometimes, they'll fall or something will happen, and they will get a 
stress fracture, if you will. Stress can do that. So today, what I want to visit with you all about and let's talk about is just the every day of your life as a family and handling the stress just of your everyday life. That's really what I want us to focus on today. And so I've entitled the message, Stress Doesn't Have to Fracture Families. The text is just a very familiar one. Uh, it's one you will know well. It's found in Philippians. It's on the fourth page of Philippians. Very familiar passage. Many of you have probably committed it to memory. And so I just want us to look at it this morning, and I'd like to allow it to maybe inform us in how we live every day in our lives as family members. So look at it with me. Philippians 4, verse 4, where Paul has written, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, when you think about stress, anxiety, there are all kinds of things that cause it, that lead us to have these feelings of, of worry and concern. Sometimes they are, there are major issues, I realize that. What I want us to do this morning though is just think about our regular, ordinary, everyday life, Monday through Saturday, the various stresses that you face, the things that just come into your life and why they cause you anxiety. You know that every week in this sermon series so far, we have been using a different TV family to just help illustrate whatever it is that we're discussing. So today I wanna to show you a video clip from the TV show Blackish. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that TV show. It aired on, on television from 2014 to last year. And it stars Anthony Anderson. He is a, if you know him at all, he is a funny dude, if you've ever seen him. In this um, uh, show, he plays Dre Johnson. He's the dad, his wife, Rainbow. They're married. They have, I think, three kids. They're living in this predominantly white, middle, upper-class neighborhood. His dad is also a part of the family. And she's a medical doctor, and he has a job as well. They're very successful people. They're very well-to-do but they have pressures at home, and what, what she discovers is, is that they both work outside the home, and then when they come home, she's the only one that works inside the home. And that kind of creates a little bit of friction. So we'll just pick up an episode where they try to address that. So let's watch this clip this morning. We both have huge jobs, but when I come home from mine, from, you know, saving lives and whatnot, <laughs> I start a whole other second huge job. When you come home, you play video games. Hey, that is ridiculous. That's the sound it makes when I get a work email. You have lost this round. Playing time, four hours, 13 minutes. New record. Okay. Maybe I have a little problem. Just a little bit. Hey, Dad. Hey, babe. Mom? Yeah. I forgot to tell you last week, but Jack and I need two dozen cupcakes for school tomorrow. Yeah, that's 23 cupcakes. Tomorrow? Oh, great. That sounds fun for me. And be careful with the frosting. Last time you made some, you look like you did them last minute. Yeah, you kind of phoned it in, Mom. <sighs> did you even hear what she said? Yes, she said, hey, Dad. 
Um, and she said something to you. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, there's like a thousand invisible things that I do around here that aren't even on your radar. Okay. Babe, I hear you. Hmm. Let me tell you what. Let me handle all the kids' stuff this week, including whatever it is that Diane just said. Really? Yes, really. That would be great. I could really use a break. I know. You look tired. I look tired, Dre? Oh, look what's here in the paper. Your obituary. <laughs> I, I know that line, you look tired, works sometimes with your wife. Okay, maybe not. Um, so this couple just dealing with regular, everyday life, stressful situations, we all face them. So here's my question for you this morning. Think about your family. How does your family handle stress? So just think about it with me. What is the, what is the response? What are the default responses in your family when you find yourselves being pressed? When whatever it is just causes the anxiety level in your home to escalate, what happens? What role do you play in it? Um, I want to tell you a couple stories. One of them is the story of Ed Greer. You, you probably have never heard of Ed Greer, but there was a time when he was somewhat famous. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, he was an engineer. He had a job at Hughes Aircraft in El Segundo, California. He was a very successful guy, manager of a huge part of the company. He was married, two kids. His, his father was a successful multimillionaire. And he decided that he was done. So on September the 9th of 1981, Ed Greer told a couple of the folks who worked for him, I'm done. So the next morning, he didn't show up for work. That particular morning, September the 10th, one of his colleagues just happened to be at the airport, and there was Ed. Ed had on blue jeans, Doc Siders, T-shirt. He looked at this guy and said, you didn't see me. And he kept walking. And he just disappeared. And nobody heard from him again. And he became a cult hero at, Hay, at Hughes uh, Aircraft. Every year on September 10th, they celebrated Ed Greer Day. People who worked for him, they had pictures of him hanging on their desks and in their cubicles. They had Ed Greer masks where they would walk around the office going, I quit. My name's Ed. I'm done. I'm tired of all this. I'm out. Well, they all imagined him living somewhere on the beach somewhere, just enjoying his life, and he, had, he was done with corporate America. Well, they found him, 1989, eight years later. He actually had lived on the beach for a while, kind of enjoyed himself, but eventually he decided he needed to do something with his life. So he took on an assumed name, borrowed a social security number, moved to Houston, went to work as an engineer. Finally, one day in 1989, the FBI came into his office. They found, the IRS reported there were two men with the same name, with the same social security number who were filing tax returns. So they went to the first guy with that name who lived in Alabama. He was the real guy. And then they showed up in Houston and, they, and the FBI agent said when they walked in his office, Ed looked up and said, I knew one day y'all would come. And he said, you know, here was his quote. He said, I felt trapped and I just didn't like my life anymore. And so he left. I'll tell you another story. Um, there's a geologist, scientist named Fraser Goff. And uh, back in the early 90s, he was doing some research 
at the Galerias Volcano in Colombia, South America. He was taking gas samples from this active volcano. And one day while he was at work, one of the Colombian guides came to him and said, I want to show you something. We think we are finding gold in this volcano. So Goff did some investigation. The guide showed him what he wanted him to see. And he looked at these deposits on the wall of the volcano. And Goff became convinced this just may be gold. And so he conducted some research, took some samples, and sure enough, it was in January 1993, there were actually slivers of gold that were being forced out of a gold vein underneath this volcano. And the intense amount of pressure and heat was forcing it to the surface. And it was a monumental discovery because it was the first time that a living, active volcano was producing gold. And so he made this very famous discovery because of the heat and the pressure of that volcano was causing the gold vein to spew gold. Now, I'll tell you those two stories to, to offer an illustration because when I think about stress, it appears to me that those two stories give examples of how I see people respond. Sometimes for some reason, some people, when they are completely stressed, and their anxiety level is really high, they flee. They panic. But there appear to be some people that when they are under intense amount of pressure and heat, for some reason they spew gold, so to speak. Why is that? Why is it some people seem to be able to manage and even grow and eventually produce something productive because of what they've been through and other people just can't, survive it. Well, I don't, I don't know that I have the full definitive answer for that. It's very complicated and complex, as you know. But I at least want to entertain a conversation with you about it. Um, you may be familiar with the Holmes Ray Life Study. It was, it was actually performed back in the mid-60s. And it was a very famous uh, a psychological experiment that resulted in what's called the Holmes Ray Life Stress Inventory. In fact, I have a copy of it with me today. Even though it was done back in the 60s, it's still pretty much the gold standard, if I can say that, when it comes to evaluating stress levels. Psychologists, whenever people report high levels of anxiety, often they will give them this test. And basically what they've done is, according to their research, it's called the Social Readjustment Rating Scale. And they have taken the 43 top stressors in an individual's life and assigned each one of them a point value. And so whenever you take this inventory with a psychologist, they will ask you to answer these questions. And once you complete the questionnaire, they will then add up your total to determine at what stress level you are. And so they have things like death of a spouse. That's worth 100 points on this inventory. Um, Divorce, marital separation, marriage, being fired, marital reconciliation, retiring, pregnancy, business adjustments, death of a close friend, changing to a different job. I mean, there's all kinds of stressors. And then these psychologists, many of them who use this inventory, have tried to help people understand how do you then respond to this information? And so here's, here's what these psychologists tell us. There are three important factors in handling stress whenever you experience them. Number one, the event itself or the events themselves. There may be more than one. Second, the resources or strengths that your family has to respond to it. And third, the family's perception of the event. So these psychologists say whenever you encounter stressful situations, stressful events, whatever it may be, 
First of all, isolate the event. Isolate what's happened. What has actually happened? Second of all, what are our strengths? What are our resources? What is it we have to address in this? And third of all, how does it affect everybody else? In other words, you as a family member, you may perceive one situation as stressful. Another family member may think this is not that big a deal. And you may have disagreements that can actually can increase the stress level. Then what they've discovered is some families just seem to respond well to stressful environments. And they say the families that do that usually do two things. One, they cope. And then second, they resolve the, the problem. So somehow they've developed coping mechanisms, families that respond. Second of all, they figure out how to resolve problems. So all of that sounds really simple. So let me just tell you this. Whenever you've got high anxiety, stress in your home and in your family, things that feel like they're just out of control, isolate the event, look at the resources you have, discuss it as a family, cope with it, and resolve it. Does that make sense? Thank you all for coming. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> that all sounds simple, doesn't it? Uh, but let's be honest. My experience has been, it's really hard to do. How about y'all? Family life, life can just be stressful. And so how do we manage through those seasons where it seems as if the, the heat just is intense and the stress level is just escalating? Well, I, here's what I'd like to say to y'all this morning. I want to talk to y'all about just your Monday through Saturday I believe this text addresses that because that's where you live. You just live in your life, your real life, your real home, and your real family. How are you managing it? Well, I believe there's some biblical assistance here that's very practical that I would like to just point you to to give consideration as you try to deal with your own stress levels, particularly as they relate to your family. So here's what I would offer you from this text, things that I see that I think are helpful. First of all, joy. There's a deep joy that emerges from our faith in God. I want you to notice what this text says. It's fascinating to me. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This, this word, rejoice, experience joy. But I want you to notice it's not just rejoice. That's not what it is. Notice what it is. It is rejoice in the Lord so there's the secret. A deep faith in God is the secret. Here's what I would say to y'all this morning. The older I've gotten and the longer I've lived my life on planet Earth, I believe this with everything in me. Everything in your life is connected to your relationship with God. Everything. I defy you to come up with anything that's not somehow ultimately connected to your relationship with God. Everything that's going to happen to you, how you're going to respond, it's just all woven together. And so that's why the secret of joy is this. It is in that dynamic relationship you have with God. You know where Paul was when Paul wrote Philippians? Paul was in Rome. He was in Rome under arrest. He had been brought to Rome because he was on trial for his life. Now, do y'all know who was in charge in Rome when Paul wrote this, Paul wrote this in A.D. 60. 
And there he is imprisoned in Rome, awaiting trial. Do y'all know who was in charge in Rome in AD 60? Nero. Now, some of y'all in this room think you got it bad right now in this country. Some of y'all think you used to have it bad in this country. I'm here to tell y'all, none of y'all has ever had it as bad as having Nero in charge. Nero was a despot. So how much confidence do you think Paul had in the system of justice in his world? How much hope do you think Paul had, oh, this is not going to work out? I mean, I trust the system. After all, Nero's in charge. And yet he writes this letter. And I'm going to ask you to read this letter this week, Philippians, in your daily Bible readings. And what you're going to discover is this the most joy-filled letter Paul ever wrote. Well, what's the secret? Well, it's his deep relationship with God. And I know that sounds somewhat trite, maybe somewhat simplistic, but I don't know any other way to put it. And so when someone talks to me about the incredible stressors in their life, the problems that they're facing, one of my first questions is, tell me about you and God. Because to me, that leads so, to so much insight. So tell me about you and God. What's that relationship like? Because it is connected to everything that happens to you. So this morning, I just want to begin with that. So what's your relationship with God like? Are y'all on speaking terms, if you will? How deeply connected are you to him? Because when it comes to these kinds of experiences in life, it really matters how deeply connected you are. And so... Paul then, once he expresses that, he offers some counsel about managing stress, living in the midst of it. What does he offer us? Well, first of all, gentleness. I love that. Gentleness in the face of chaos. Paul says, look at this text. We still have your Bible open. Look what he says in verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, here's what I've discovered about stressful situations. Gentleness is usually the first thing to leave the conversation. When we're stressed... It's hard to be gentle. Now, it's easy to ask for it in a stressful situation. I just think you should be more gentle. That's what I think. And then the response is, well, let me just show you how ungentle I can actually be. <clears throat> Gentleness is hard. Here would be my suggestion. Here's what's fascinating about the word gentle. You know, the New Testament's written in Greek. It's not written in English. So the translation to English sometimes is a little hard. That word's hard to put into English. It can mean steadfast. It can mean forbearance. It can mean mercy. It can mean right reasoning. It can mean gentleness. I mean, all that's bound up in this word. This word is kind of pregnant with meaning, if you will. But the point is, gentleness in the face of chaos is actually possible. As hard as that might uh, be to, to believe, it really is. And so here's what I would say about it. I believe that we cultivate gentleness in our hearts and in our minds and in our actions in the less stressful situations. So when the more stressful situations arise, we have something to draw from. Does that make sense? It's hard to cultivate gentleness in the middle of the heat when the, when the heat's been turned up. But if you have it, if it's something you've learned, it's something you can remind yourself about, well, then it's something that can be very useful in the middle of chaotic times in your family. And all of our families need that gentle voice. They do. They need somebody who can play that role, who can recognize that, that there maybe we need to turn the thermostat down a little bit in this conversation. And so let your gentleness be known to all. Then another piece of advice, be anxious in nothing. Now, I want you to look at what the Bible says. 
Do not be anxious about anything. Now, when Paul wrote that, what's your response to that? You've got to be kidding me. You obviously have never lived in a family, right? I mean, Paul, y'all know Paul. Paul woke up every morning to angel music playing. You know, he just kind of floated through life, right? And whenever Paul talked to people, he would say, good morning. My name is the Apostle Paul. I'm writing the Bible. Is that really what you believe? No. Paul lived in a real world, just like you do. So how in the world could Paul the Apostle in prison, in Rome, waiting for Nero to judge him, say, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, here's what I would say. I think what the gist of this text is telling us is that there are things that are going to happen in your life that are beyond your control. Most of you in this room have lived long enough to already know that. There are just some forces at work and eventually that impinge on you and you just, you just don't have any control over it. For example, some of you right now are worried about the economy in our country. What can you do about it? You think the treasury secretary is going to call you tomorrow morning to talk about interest rates? I doubt it. You're just living. And yet, it's, it's in there. Things are just going to happen. Companies are going to downsize sometimes. They're going to make decisions. And, and your life is going to be affected. There are just things sometimes that happen that are just all around us, that are just beyond our control. So we could spend all of our time just worrying about those things. Things that we have absolutely no control over. Things that we just cannot possibly shape or change. I think what Paul is saying is, don't let anxiety rule your family. Don't, don't let anxiety be the ethos of what happens in your home. Learn how to cope and recognize that anxiety perhaps has its place but it serves us best in its place and we don't let it captivate us and rule our lives. That to me is the admonition from Paul. Don't let it rule your family. And then Paul says, here's another key to the secret. Be prayerful in everything. I love that. Paul says, in the midst of the stress, pray. Some translations say, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. That's a simple way to put it, but that's not bad advice. Pray. Well, see, here's the thing about prayer. It's connected to your relationship with God. And so if you've got this deep, dynamic relationship with God that's up to date, that matters, that's organic in your life, that's just a part of how you've chosen to live now, prayer becomes a part of that. It's your dialogue with God. It's your ability to take these things and seek God's counsel and God's wisdom. And that's what I believe this text is asking us to do. So when you find yourself in these moments, we ask God for his advice. We ask God for his counsel. We don't have what it takes to answer all of our needs. We don't. We don't have the resources that we need to address every situation in our life, to handle all the stressors in our life, to handle all the instability that we're going to face. We don't have those resources on our own. We need intervention. We need God. So prayer is how we access that in our relationship. So I want to encourage you. Ask God to help you. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for counsel. Ask him for insight. Take these requests, these challenges, Put them before him and say, Lord, this burden right now in my life is really hard for me to carry. I need you to help me with this. If you're not going to change this, would you change me so that I can manage my way through this? Be prayerful in everything. And then I love the way Paul puts it with thanksgiving. <laughs> Be thankful in anything. Be thankful. You know, the attitude of gratitude is important. It's healthy. Here's what I've learned about gratitude. You know what it does for me? When I'm grateful, it's a heart thing. 
when I find myself grateful, it allows me to focus on what I already have rather than focusing on what I wish I had. Be grateful for what you have. Anybody can spend all their time focusing on what they don't have, but focus on what you have. And then I want you to notice this, y'all. One of my favorite words in this text is verse seven, and. I love that, and. Paul says, if you do this, and he says, peace. And I want you to notice it's not, it's not just absence of conflict, it's peace. It's the peace of God is what the Bible says you can have. Doesn't that sound good? In your family? Here's what I'd say to y'all. And this is really, to me, kind of the gist of all this. I want y'all to know, Satan hates you. He hates everything about you. And he has declared war on anything good. And so what Satan wants to do is to devour you. He wants to destroy you. So right now, your life may be in shambles. You may be facing the challenge of your life. And what you need to know is Satan is a long way from being done. He wants to destroy everything you've got. He doesn't want you to be able to pick up any of the pieces. No. He never wants any relationships to ever be restored again. No. He wants to destroy you and everything about you. That's what he wants to do. And he lies. And he whispers those lies into your ears. You know, this ain't ever going to change. You know, you ain't ever going to get over this. In fact, you don't deserve to get over this. You know, you got yourself in this mess. Now you need to figure out how to get out of it. All those are lies from Satan. You see, everything about you is connected to your relationship with God. Everything. And you see, God wants what's best for you. And here's what I want you to know. God cares. He does. He cares about your family. He cares about your parents. He cares about your children. He cares about your husband. He cares about your wife. He cares about your brother. He cares about your sister. But you know what? Even more important than all that, he cares about you. And he wants you. He wants you to be in a deep, dynamic relationship with him. That's what he wants. He wants you to walk with him. I'm talking about, I'm talking about where you really live. You see, I need God in the everyday. I do. I need him in the everyday. I don't just need God to get me to heaven. I'm already going to heaven. Praise God. I've been saved. I've been forgiven. I've been washed clean. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he died on the cross for my sin. And I believe he's been gloriously resurrected from the dead. And I believe in the power of the gospel. And I'm in. I'm going to heaven. But I don't live in heaven. I live in Arlington. So when I wake up on Monday morning, I ain't in heaven. I'm in Arlington. I need help to live in Arlington. I'm going to do fine in heaven. I'm ready. I'm prepared for heaven. I'm going to tell you right now, I'll be a scratch golf. I'll be better than a scratch golf. You're going to wonder, how did he get so good? I'm going to go, I'm in heaven. You think I can't chip in heaven? I never chip in heaven. I hit every green. Seriously. But you know what? I need help tomorrow morning. That's when I need it. Guess what God wants to give you? Help tomorrow morning. Do y'all know this, um, 
This experiment out in Arizona they tried years ago called the biosphere. I don't know if y'all remember it or not. Back in the 90s, Ed Bass from Fort Worth financed it mostly. And they, these scientists built this, this fake world, this biosphere called Biosphere 2. Three and a half acres, I think. Has everything. Has a desert, an ocean, a lake. It's got trees. It's got animals. It's got food. It's got plants. It's got everything. And so they put these people in it, eight people for two years, no outside intervention, just to live, just to see if they could provide everything for them. Well, they had to shut it down for a lot of reasons. They used up too much oxygen, not enough food. They couldn't get along with each other. Shock. <laughs> but you know what was interesting? You know one thing that surprised them? The trees that they'd put in there and planted. You know what was, you know what was fascinating? The trees all began to just fall over. And the scientists had a hard time figuring out. You know what they finally figured out? There was one thing. I mean, they'd put oxygen in. They'd, they'd thought about all the chemicals, all the biological needs. Guess what they couldn't emulate? Wind. And they said, what we've learned is in order for trees to develop a root system, you got to have wind. In order for trees to develop a strong trunk, you've got to have a force that works against it. Wind. In order for a tree to develop the right kind of bark, there's got to be wind. And without any opposition, without any stress, these trees all just fell over. Now, come on, y'all. Here's what's going to happen in your life. You know what Jesus said? Build your house, and here's what's going to happen. The rain's going to fall. The wind is going to blow. The floodwaters are going to rise around you. In other words, stress is going to come your way. And instead of panicking and fleeing, praise God, let's learn how to spew gold. See, that, that's the goal. That's, that's what God is after because he wants to do something for you, through you, with you that can only be explained because of your relationship with him. And so guess what he'll give you? Peace. And I love what Paul says. It's the peace that transcends understanding. That means you can't explain it. Well, why are you so peaceful? Don't you know what's happening to you? Yes. Are you not a realist? Absolutely. This is terrible. I'm just telling you, I'm in the presence of God right now and somehow he's going to help us. He may not change this. He may not fix this. He may not ever change my circumstances. I'm going to have to live with this, but I've got to come to grips with it and I trust him and I believe in him and I'm walking in faith and I'm living the life he's called me to live and because of that, he's given me joy and he's given me a peace that I can't explain to you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that it transcends understanding and guess what it'll do? The Bible says it'll guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And sometimes in these stressful moments, we need our hearts and our minds to be guided because your heart can wander and so can your mind. But let's give God a chance. In our families, stress is going to come. Of course. So wherever you are right now in your family, like I said, you may be in a shambles. You may be, it, maybe it's falling apart. I get it. And it may not ever go back to what it was Sometimes that's how it is. But I'm going to tell you right now what I've learned about Jesus. Jesus is way more interested in who you are right now and who you can become than who you've ever been. He meets you and turns your attention to the future. Let him do that in your home. And let's give God a chance on Monday to help us in our family. May it be so. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we love you. Lord, my goodness, we, we, we love our families. I love these folks. I love these homes, these moms. Her on Mother's Day, 
I want to thank you. I know families come in all shapes and sizes, all kinds of challenges. Right now, across the span of this room, within the sound of my voice, people in their own homes right now, scattered wherever they may be, there are all kinds of homes and families and family dynamics and relationships and challenges. And we know it can be hard, but we also know it can be incredibly awesome, joyful, gracious, a blessing. I want to thank you for those homes. Lord, we have many homes Many great and godly people leading homes. Lord, we just want to blow wind in their sails. May they increase. God, use them. Continue to help them to just be great safe havens. Light in the midst of darkness in our neighborhoods. We also have homes that need to be rescued. Relationships that need to be restored. And we pray that you'll work your miracle working power in those families. And may you breathe hope where there may have not been hope for a long time. May it be so. Lord, fill these homes with joy and grace and power so that you can change families, so that you can change neighborhoods, you can change communities, and we'll just see your hand at work. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.